Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, what's up? Happy Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. And, of course, on your Supertalk Mississippi radio stations. What happened to the weather? Good grief. Out of nowhere, too, by the way. Because uh, uh, I woke up and went on an early morning run, like before school this yeah, morning. It, it was stuck. So I spent the night here in Jackson last night. Yeah. I'm here for most of the week. And... um it occurred to me yesterday that I had forgotten that there was a uh, hot donuts light on County Line Road, and so uh, I got out, out early yeah. and made a donut run. Had to wait on him for a little while, made a donut, and it was like clammy. Yeah, outside it was, it was amazing. And then right around noon ish, yep, little system came through, and weather or, or temperatures just plummeted. Yeah, yeah, no, um, it, it, I mean, like it just happened immediately. I talked to Jane earlier. She's obviously in Oxford, and. Um, she went to something at our youngest daughter's school this morning, and it changed from the time she went in the school to half an hour later when she came out. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what this front's doing, yeah. just like sweeping through. And but the good news is it's not going to stay cold for long. And um, it looked like the upper Midwest kind of got a lot of nasty weather along with it, some thunderstorms mm-hmm. and some tornadoes. Thankfully. Doesn't look like we are uh, dealing with that. Yeah, in Oklahoma, a uh, new member of the SEC. Yesterday it was in the 80s. Today they had sub, uh, sub-freezing temperatures. And then it's supposed to be back in the 70s this weekend. Yeah. Welcome to uh, spring, I suppose. Uh, great to be with you. We're in the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book, the Golden Moon Casino. Check them out online at PearlRiverResort.com, PearlRiverResort.com. And uh, be sure to stop by and see them in person at the Sportsbook. Got some uh, some cool incentives for you to uh, come by these days. Uh, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer-inspired. So... We got some basketball to talk about from last night. We've got some basketball to talk about from tonight. We have baseball from yesterday to discuss. We have more baseball that gets started for Ole Miss this afternoon. Got a lot going on. 
and um, none of it bigger than uh, what we had last night at Humphrey Coliseum. What an environment. I mean, we, we talked about the buildup for it, and it was fantastic. It looked good on television. It sounded good on television. Uh, the folks that were in the building said it was just absolutely electric, and, and you could tell. And the game delivered. Mississippi State had a double-digit lead at halftime. Uh, I'm sorry, it was an eight-point lead at halftime. Up 43-35 at the half. They quickly extended that lead right out of the gate in the second half. Yeah, Pushed it out to 12. And then Kentucky started kind of chipping away. But it wasn't like this one sustained run where, you know, Kentucky went on a 15-2 to run and took the lead. It took a little while. It was a little bit. They got it to nine. Then they got it to seven. Then it went back to eight. And then went back down to five. You know, just kind of back and forth. But they were steadily making progress. And then Kentucky took the lead. And then Mississippi State retook the lead. And then Kentucky at the end, Borky, pushed it out to this is a thing where you hit your free throws and you're going to win the game. Yeah, seven points, right, with a minute left or inside of a minute. And fans, I mean, I'm, this is not fan blaming. I would have done the same thing in your seat. Started headed towards the exits. Yeah. The, um, the, the final minute of the game was crazy. Reed Shepard made a second free throw to go up six, 81-75 with a minute nine to play. And then Rob Dillingham made two free throws with 58 seconds left to make it 83-75. It's an eight-point game with 53 seconds left. Josh Hubbard hits a three five seconds later. So now it's a five-point game. Kentucky goes and makes two more free throws. So it's 85-78, back to a seven-point game. Josh Hubbard hits another three. So he had a three with 53 seconds to play in the game. He hits another three with 46 seconds to play in the game. Makes it a four-point game. Kentucky's Reed Shepard goes to the free throw line. Makes two free throws. It's back to a six-point game. 87-81. Cam Matthews makes a layup. It's a four-point game. And then... Was that the point where... No, it wasn't the turnover there. So they had a there was an was it an offensive foul on the big guy? And there was some sort of a stop mm-hmm. in there at 87-83. Cameron Matthews goes to the free throw line, makes the first, misses the second. Kentucky gets the ball and Reed Shepard is trying to dribble away. If Reed Shepard just dribbles and lets them foul him, he goes back to the free throw line yeah. because State was trying to foul him. They couldn't catch him. He goes back to the free throw line where he probably makes two more free throws. Instead, he speeds things up, tries to make a long pass into the front court. Tolu Smith intercepts it, gets his feet cut out from under him. Now you got Tolu going to the free throw line, which is really, if we're being honest, not what you want. So what does he do? He steps up and he makes both of them. 87-85. 87-86. What does State do? They foul Reed Shepard again. He goes back to the free throw line, makes two free throws. So now it's an 89-86 game with 17 seconds to play. And what do you get? You get a third made three from Josh Hubbard. If you're counting, that's three inside the last minute of the game. And in terms of elapsed time on the clock... 
that is 42 seconds. He made three threes in 42 seconds of clock time inside a minute at the end of that game. Game's tied at 89. And you're like, holy cow. I was sitting on the couch. I like hopped up. I was like, whoa, he made it. Oh, my goodness. Kentucky doesn't take a timeout. I, I think they had one left. They did. Chose not to in that moment. Cal lets him play. They get the ball into Reed Shepard's hands. He gets into the lane. Very under control. Floater. Bottom of the net. State inbounds it. Turnover. And it was Reed Shepard who ends up with the steal yeah. at the end. He had an unbelievably good game for Kentucky last night. What a basketball game. I, I mean, I know our audience listening had a rooting interest one way or the other. The old Miss fans wanted State to lose, and the State fans obviously wanted them to win. The, the casual observer mm. got a treat last night. Two freshmen, too. Big shots, big plays, dueling back and forth like that. Big environment. That's what it's you want. It's almost like we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Yeah. Could your SEC freshman of the year be decided last night? And, I, you know, Probably. Hubbard was excellent, but I do think that that question has been answered. The, the Kentucky brand helps as well. But. It does. Um, Reed Shepard last night in 35 minutes goes for a career-high 32 points. But it's not just that. It's the entire stat line. 11 of 14, 4 of 7 from 3, made all six of his free throws all within the last minute of the game, had five rebounds, seven assists, two steals, two blocks, and the block was huge Yeah, in the corner. Have you seen the still shot of him in the air? Yeah. Somebody called him Reed, Z- or Reed Williamson. I mean... He's like 40 inches in the yeah. air. He's a complete player. A com- uh, just you can score at every level, defend, athletic, complete basketball player. I told you a conversation that Pat Bradley and I had earlier in the season about Reed Shepard. He's like, man, this kid's going to get so much better. He said, but you know what? If I'm an NFL, uh, an NBA scout, I want him now. Yeah. He's like, is he ready for the NBA right now? Eh, maybe not. But he's that good of a player. I would rather have him in my organization developing him than allowing him to be elsewhere getting developed at this stage in his career. Because there's so much potential there. And then on the other side, Josh Hubbard plays 35 minutes last night. So Hubbard and Shepard played the exact same number of minutes. Hubbard took more shots. He was 11 of 24. He hit seven threes, five of six from the line, three rebounds, one assist, one steal, only turned it over one time, 34 points. If you're keeping score at home, that's 32 and 34 in the last two games for Josh Hubbard. Had 32 against LSU and 34 last night. Yeah, he's on a tear. And they've needed him to. That's the thing. That's what we were talking about yesterday some is – and we'll get to it after the break. When Kentucky's on, that offense is just, it's so hard to keep up with. But State, thanks to Hubbard especially, but Smith as well, they were able to get to score with Kentucky. And that, despite the loss, I think is a really good sign moving forward. Because that when you can score with the best one of the best offenses in college basketball, yeah. then you've got something there. You, you you do. 
You do. And I don't know if that's the style that Mississippi State really wanted to be playing, but when that's what they were faced with, they kind of rose to the challenge. They did. We'll be back. We'll pick up the conversation when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Line open to you at 601-879-4395. You've got your business, and C Spire's got your back with best-in-class technology solutions powered by their team of 200-plus certified engineers. Visit cspire.com slash business to learn more. C Spire, customer inspired. David says, Shepard, like a modern-day Pistol Pete, but with a personality. He and Hubbard gave each other props on uh, social media this morning. That was uh, that was cool to see. They did. They they absolutely. And I think it started with Josh Hubbard too. It did uh, picture the two of them and said, uh, "Mad respect for you." I don't know that I'm ready to compare anybody to Pete Maravich. I mean, what he did is different than anything that we have ever seen in college basketball. I think Reed Shepard is really really good. I think Josh Hubbard is really really good. But comparing either of those guys yeah. to a player who averaged a point a minute for his career is, um, I think that's a little aggressive. How many times has the Kentucky player, talking about Reed Shepard, been the SEC Freshman of the Week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, December 4th, he was named SEC Freshman of the Week, won the honor again on December 26th. So two times. Josh Hubbard won it on November 20th. He won it again on January 15th, January 29th, February 19th, and he was the co-SEC Freshman of the Week this week. Five times. That's a record at Mississippi State, and it's incredible. Kentucky has also had D.J. Wagner win the award three times this year. Aaron Bradshaw has won it once, and Justin Edwards has won it once. It's incredible. And Kentucky has four different players that have been SEC Freshman of the Week, and two of them have won the award multiple times. That's Calipari for you. I did see some reaction last night, State fan, some State fans anyway, you know, vocal minorities and whatnot, talking about how they played poor defense last night. Well, the defense was bad. They played bad defense. And it, it's weird to say this because they gave up 91 points, but I don't think I saw it that way. Especially in the second half, because of Kentucky's shot making, in what they had four shooters on the floor at the same time, basically the entire game. Anyway, that's how they play. But when they when they started making shots in the second half, State had to defend Kentucky the way NBA teams have to defend each other, where you really have to clear out the the, the paint because you have to guard shooters, and that just leaves so much space. And that's what led to some of Kentucky's offensive balance. I don't think State played poorly last night, really in any facet of the game. They just got beat, which is, you know, that's a tough reality to swallow. You'd love to blame the refs or blame this or blame that. But what I saw last night, even though it's weird because it's a loss, affirms what we said after the LSU win. 
that Mississippi State's a second weekend team in the tournament. I know there's no moral victories or whatever, but it's basketball. You lose games sometimes. But yeah. they, they lined up toe-to-toe and scored with a, a team that has that kind of offensive firepower. State still is continuing on this path of playing really good basketball to the point where what's their ceiling? Second weekend in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, I mean, you get to the NCAA tournament, it's so much about matchups, who you right. draw, when you draw them. Is there a hot shooter? Is there a guard that carries a team? How good is your defense in a specific game? Do you make shots? Do you make free throws? Do you make plays in clutch situations? Like, all of that stuff matters. One thing that I think you love for Mississippi State is they are an extremely experienced basketball team. They are a veteran-laden team. State's got almost 600 career starts. It's incredible on its out of out of its roster, and now not all of those are in Starkville, but I mean you got guys that have been all over the place and have yeah. had success for their entire careers. Um, yeah, nothing about last night changed the way I think about what this team ceiling is or the path that they're currently on. So, hey, Dad and I. We were texting back and forth. You were on the message last night, and you know he was frustrated after the game, as you would expect. And I, I said, that one had all the emotions. The thrill of the lead, right? Mississippi State led for the entire half. It wasn't until, what, midway through the second half that Kentucky had its first lead of the game. The agony of seeing that lead slip away. Because, again, it wasn't this, like, blitzkrieg from Kentucky's offense where the lead went away all at once. It was a chip away, chip away, chip away from down 12 to taking the lead in the game. There was the resignation of the outcome. You were resigned to the fact that you were going to lose the game down 8 with 59 seconds or 56 seconds to play. And then there was the renewed hope that came with this improbable comeback because of the exploits of Josh Hubbard in the last minute. The exhilaration of making the shot to tie it at 89, and then the just sheer heartbreak that went along with seeing it go in on the other end of the floor for Reed Shepard. It's eerily similar to what happened to Kentucky on the road at LSU last week. The difference is when they hit the shot on the offensive end, it was to take the lead. And then Kentucky came in and they tipped it in at the buzzer to get the win. Somebody was telling me a second or was saying a second ago that messed up the, the sequence that Cam Matthews got an and one. So yeah, that was part of it. And then said that Reed Shepard threw that ball forward because he was about to get a ten second violation. So two things there. Still doesn't change the fact from Reed Shepard ran away from contact with the basketball earlier in the possession. Yeah. Which he's trying to burn as much clock as he can, but at some point you got to realize it's better for me to be fouled and let's go put two more points on the board because if we keep putting two points up, they can't catch us. Like, time does not allow for that to happen. And so he ran away from that. And then the second part is, okay, if you get a 10-second violation, that's bad but it doesn't immediately lead to free throws for Mississippi State. By just throwing it up for grabs, one, you turn it over. Two, you create a situation where your guy inadvertently fouls their guy. 
and then Mississippi State gets to go cut into the lead with the clock stopped. So that was not a good sequence for Reed Shepard. No. But then the other 34 minutes and 50 seconds that he played were really good for Reed Shepard. Yeah, and he did that. And then, I mean, just a few seconds later, a few minutes in, in real life, his coach trusts him enough to not even bother calling a timeout and lets him break down a defense and get to the basket and make a floater and win the game. And does John Calipari have that same discipline if Kentucky's down a point? That's a good question. He, he knew the outcome was, yeah. we're either winning it or we're playing more basketball because the game was tied. Yeah. So maybe gives you a little bit more luxury where you're like, you know what, I got a, I got a team full of superstars. Go make a play. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what they did. We've gotten a handful of texts about free throw stuff. If State shot better free throws, and, and not, I understand where that's coming from, but uh, I didn't think officiating was necessarily an issue last night. But Kentucky and Mississippi State shot the same number of free throws, and Kentucky only made three more. Kentucky was 15 of 17 from the line. State was 12 of 17. Uh, so, And that's 71% for State? is significantly better than where they've been. It's good for them. I mean, we've looked at a lot of box scores where State shot 59% from the line. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll take 71% for them uh, anyway moving forward. I, it, that, that wasn't the issue. They also went or got cold, too, there in the second half. That allowed Kentucky to get in. I mean, what was it, 14-3 to out of the gate, made five of nine threes in the first half did Mississippi State, and, and that just cooled off enough to where K- Kentucky was able to come back. I don't think the... Lack of making free throws was the difference, really, either. That it was really tight in that regard. I get taking the box score and going, let's see, we shot the same number of free throws. They made three more than we did. We lost by two. There's the difference in the game. And I guess mathematically, it's the difference in the game. But it's also kind of like where you take one stat and you cherry pick something to make it fit exactly what you're trying to say in your mind, and it doesn't always... Because if State has two more made free throws somewhere along the way, maybe it changes the way the game is played, and you get an entirely different outcome based on the score being different. So it's... I don't think it's just as simple... Now, if State had gone 8 of 17 from the line yeah, and missed 9 free throws, as opposed to missing 5 and shooting 71%, Okay, I, I get what you're saying there. But it was a much better night for Mississippi State at the free throw line than they've had in recent games. And shooting the basketball in general. I know they had that period of time in the second half where they got cold, but, buddy, if they go 52-44-71, and 71, they're winning out, possibly. I mean, those shooting splits will win a bunch of games for them. 601-879-4395 if you want to be a part of the conversation. Dwayne says, what could State have done differently last night to win other than the obvious of score more points? I mean, the only thing on, on that stat sheet that stands out to me is they had 15 turnovers. Yeah, so that's it. take a little bit better care of the basketball and maybe you win instead of lose. I thought State played well. From the Seabrook Paint Back. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi.
folks out on the ceasefire text line and was suggesting that maybe Chris Jan should have called a timeout to get Cam Matthews and or DJ Jeffries back into the game for defensive purposes at the very end. I'm I'm sure he would have loved that after Hubbard's made shots tied at 89, but State didn't have any timeouts left. They, they were out of timeout. Kentucky had one left at the end. State had used I don't I can't remember Borky when in the game State used its last timeout. Was it around the three minute mark or am I just making that up? I mean I could go back through the play by play. It doesn't matter. They didn't have one though at the end. Um let's see. Oh, just the, the overall question and, and this is what we were talking about going into the break of you know, what could State have done differently last night to win that game? State didn't blow it last night. They didn't choke. They didn't trip over their own feet. They just didn't win. And Kentucky did. And Kentucky's really good, and Kentucky's really talented. But guess what? Mississippi State has proven they're a pretty darn good basketball team. Maybe even a really good basketball team. For his part, Cal said after the game, he's like, I'm just glad we don't have to play them again. I wonder if Eric Musselman wants to play them again. He says he does. And then he loses to Vanderbilt. How'd it go in uh how'd it go last night? Yeah, he was really feeling himself talking about Mississippi State for some reason, then goes and loses to Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, it was a big spiel, right? I mean, we're playing really good basketball. We've won four out of our last seven. Well, okay. actually, it should have been five. But it should have been five out of the last seven. I mean, four out of your last seven is four and three. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, that's not like... Now, considering where they had been, maybe it's pretty good. But still, yeah. But, uh, yeah, then they, then they roll it back last night, and not good. Against the Vanderbilt Commodores. And you guys wanted to fire Jerry Stackhouse yesterday. Yeah, with three SEC wins out of 14. Yeah. So. Now, and and we got this message. I I don't know how many people think this either, but it was a long message about how Ole Miss would be a lot better if they had Hubbard and they, they shouldn't have fired Kermit Davis. That's not the first time I've seen that. And I don't know where that is coming from. Like, Josh Hubbard is great. Great. Don't get me wrong. He's great. But you don't keep a coach for the sake of one high school recruit. And Hubbard on what would have been... Nobody knew Josh Hubbard was going to be what he has been this year. Chris Jans told me that. He's like, we had no idea he was going to be this. We thought he was going to be good. We didn't know he was going to be this. Had no idea he was going to be that. And the rest of the roster would have been a disaster. It's not like this team plus Hubbard would have existed. There'd be no Matt Morrell, no Jamin Brakefield, no Musa Cissé. None of these guys. It would have been a disaster. The program would have lost millions again. No fans would have shown up. It, like Hubbard would really help Ole Miss had he stuck around. But when Ole Miss fired Kermit Davis, there was no way that that was going to happen. And him being in what was going to be Kermit Davis's team in 2024 would not have changed a thing. It still would have been an absolute disaster. There would have been no reason whatsoever to keep him after last year. 
Again, that's not the first time I've seen that. People are talking about that. It's kind of nuts. And if everything is the same, Chris Beard's the coach, the roster looks the same, and you just add Josh Hubbard to the mix, does he help Ole Miss? Absolutely. But you know, Juju Murray's won a couple of games for Ole Miss. And you don't have Juju Murray on the roster, I don't think, if you got Josh Hubbard. And somebody asked, why would Morrell and Brakefield not have been on the team? They would have transferred. Yeah. Not might have transferred, would have transferred. Yeah. Uh, and and Dwight, or excuse me, not Dwight, but Dwayne says, you blow a 13-point second-half lead, you blew it. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you, Dwayne, if that's what you want to believe. But if what you took away from that game last night was that Mississippi State choked or that Mississippi State blew it, I'm not sure you and I were watching the same game. Yeah, I didn't see it that way either. Basketball is a game of runs, and it's especially a game of runs when you have elite talent on the floor. And Kentucky has... Hmm... Five NBA players on this team? Is that right, you think? Possibly more. Aaron Bradshaw will be a pro. Trey Mitchell's going to get a shot. I don't know that he'll make it. Uh, Rob Dillingham's going to be a pro. Antonio Reeves, he's going to get a shot. He's older, but he's going to get a shot. Reed Shepard's going to be a pro. Diero might get a shot. I don't think I see a place for Onyenso. He's just not skilled enough offensively. Yeah. Not not in today's game. But he is seven feet. He's not a great three-point shooter as a seven-footer anyway. So at least four. At, at least four future NBA players on that roster for... Kentucky last night. At least. How many pros has State got? Somebody's going to give Tolu a chance. Tolu's going to get a shot. His lack of mid and outside game might hurt him some, but he'll get a shot. That's probably it. NBA pros, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about playing overseas. Right, yeah. but And I think people... I know that there's a negative view of the league uh, around here in most places anymore. But objectively elite college basketball players don't make it in the NBA. It is not like the NFL. And the NFL is obviously an exclusive club too, but great college basketball players don't get drafted sometimes. Yeah. It's only 15 roster spots on each team. Hey, we can come back to this uh, if if we need to, if we want to. Um, want to get to some other stuff in this this first hour as well. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America is going to join us in the four o'clock hour. Dane Bradshaw from SEC Network and ESPN. He's on the call tonight for Ole Miss in Alabama. Absolute must win game for Ole Miss. Absolute must win, and it's an uphill battle. Because, good golly, that's a talented Alabama team. Dane Bradshaw, though, will join us in the uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. 
Baseball finished out good yesterday for both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. State won at 19-6 over Jackson State. When it was all said and done, the Bulldogs had 19 runs on 14 hits. Took a while. Took a long while for them to get going, but they really got it going. And it was highlighted by that 13-run third inning. And uh, now State will get ready for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday weekend against Mount St. Mary's. 3 o'clock tomorrow, 3 o'clock Friday. I don't remember what time the game starts on Saturday. We can look it up. I just don't remember off the top of my head. Ole Miss yesterday, tight for a while, blew it open at the end. The Rebels had three different innings where they scored three runs and another where they scored two. Crooked numbers are your friend. And uh, the Rebels got a 12-6 to win. 12 runs on 14 hits. A three-hit day for Ethan Groff. Andrew Fisher had two. Jackson Ross had three more hits and another home run. So he's now hit five home runs in the last four games. Will Furness had a three-run home run. That's what got the scoring started for Ole Miss. Uh, he had a hit for Luke Hill, a, a hit for Judd Utermark, two hits for... Reagan Burford, including a home run. And things kind of settled down on the mound. Um, That's the key phrase, I think, that has happened over the last three games for them. Isn't that the thing? I mean, it's high point, and it's it's just little rock and nondescript, but they looked right. And so we have no idea what the ceiling is still yet for this team. But at least they look like they are supposed to over the last three games. Yeah. You know, it yeah. looked right yesterday, and it looked right on Saturday and Sunday. And they've got Missouri State this afternoon, about twenty minutes from now. First pitch in Oxford for uh, game two of a five-game week with Iowa coming in this weekend. Uh, Texter says Tolu Smith will not play in the NBA. Somebody will give him a chance. Yeah, neither of us said that he would. We said he would get a shot. Getting a shot, whether it's being drafted late or signed as an undrafted free agent, is not the same as playing in the NBA. But there's a team out there that's going to give him a chance. Bubba and Starkville, um, Mississippi State played their hearts out and so did UK. Please shut up. It was a great game. I, I agree, Bubba. Not everybody does, but that's okay. Basketball is so fast and back and forth. Would you say it's easier to come back from a deficit in basketball because it's fast and back and forth? It's an interesting question. It feels like it's the easiest sport to come back from. I want to think about that during the break. That that is an interesting question. We're back right after this. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Here, Sports Talk Mississippi. You like this show, huh? Yeah! Super Talk Mississippi. question as we were going to break was basketball is so fast back and forth would you say it's easier to come back from a deficit in basketball because of the pace of the game 
I think that could be a factor. But more than anything, there's so much that can go right and so much that can go wrong. And there are a lot of people that will tell you that momentum is not quantifiable. Like, there's no way to plug momentum into a stat sheet. That's eye test, Borky. Objective, not subjective. Yeah, but that's kind of... But you know what? If you've ever watched a high-level basketball game in person, you know it when you see it. It's kind of like the old definition of, well, you know what I'm talking about. You know it when you see it. The place I feel like I've seen it more than anywhere else, and I've used this example before, is Bud Walton Arena. I don't know that there has been a team that historically has ridden the momentum better than Arkansas does at home. And it usually starts with a defensive stop or a steal that leads to a layup or a dunk on the other end, and then they come back and they get either a stop or a steal and hit a three, and then boom, they're off and running. And they turn a 5-0 run into a 14-2 run. Yeah, And I've seen it a hundred times. But that can happen in basketball. And I feel like when a team starts a comeback, more times than not, that comeback starts on the defensive end. You don't start a big basketball run just by making a shot. You certainly don't sustain a run just by making a shot. It's you hit two or three shots in a row, you get a couple of defensive stops, maybe you've got a run-through steal in there, the crowd gets going, and all of a sudden for the, the team that had the lead, that is in the process of giving up the lead, it feels like everything gets tighter. And there are just so many ways that you can, can make a run in basketball. So, And look, the thing about last night, Kentucky made the big run, they threw the haymaker, and State didn't fold. Kentucky made the run. They tried to knock State out. It was an eight-point game with a minute left. And then it was tied with 11 seconds left. And it's why sometimes you go, why are they fouling? Just run the clock out. That's why. That's why you play it out. So... Yeah, it, and it feels like it just happens faster in basketball than, than anything else. And it's a more compressed time frame, right? I mean, the yeah. game's only two hours, roughly. Mm-hmm. Football game's three and a half, maybe four. I mean... Baseball game's three to four, five, six, depending on how long they go. So, yeah. Yeah. It does happen faster. I mean... Like, Literally and figuratively. State came back. There, By the way, there was a run of play last night that was seven minutes long with one stoppage. Seven minutes of basketball played. These guys are so tired at an end of a stretch like that. With one stop. They had to do basically, remember, they had to do back-to-back almost uh, TV timeouts. Yeah. Because of that, I thought that was really cool. I mean, that's a that's a fun. That's the kind of game that I I like. That's um, just fewer stoppages, more flow. But I mean, state erased that eight point deficit in the time a football commercial break happens. Yeah, I mean, they did it in a commercial break. It was fast. It was fun. It really was.
You had LSU beating Georgia last night, 67-66. Vanderbilt beating Arkansas, 85-82. There is no question that Mississippi State-Kentucky was the marquee game. But for a night where we just gave it the absolute ho-hum yesterday for the other two games, two pretty good games, or at least two close games. That's a bad loss for Arkansas. Good win for Vanderbilt. Four games tonight. Alabama at Ole Miss. Bama a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Does that number surprise you? No. I mean, I guess you could say it's a little low, but Alabama's home road splits are pretty stark. Uh, South Carolina at Texas A&M. Aggies are a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Auburn is at Tennessee. Tennessee... Only a six-and-a-half-point favorite tonight against Auburn. What do the odds makers know that we don't know there? Tennessee has been dominant at home. And Missouri at Florida, where the Gators are a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Somebody said, hey, Dad's mighty quiet. Yeah, he, just, <laughs> yeah. he lost his voice last night. Uh, hey, Dad is in, where did he say he was going, Birmingham? Huntsville? Somewhere in Alabama yeah. for a wrestling deal. AEW tonight? Now, imagine he scheduled that. He, he talks about scheduling all the time, right? Like, mm-hmm. why would you schedule this? He scheduled that after the possibility of State beating Kentucky at home. Keep that in mind. Yeah, he was at the game, though. Yeah, but being here is... Anyway. Jason says, I'm impressed you got an entire outer hour out of... What we're going to do right here is go back. And now back to... Back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling. On Super Talk Mississippi. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our friend Teddy Cahill joins us from Baseball America. Teddy, good to uh, good to catch up. A couple of weeks in the book. We've got a few midweek games that are happening all across the country. Kind of a kind of a weird start to the college baseball season. We've had some weather issues, but we've also had some great weather. We've had some surprising outcomes, and and there's been some really good stuff too. It, it's been an interesting start to the year. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, the you're always going to get some upsets, especially when we throw in midweeks early in the season. But you know, there haven't been a ton of big surprises yet. There haven't been a ton of big matchups yet, but there've been enough. Uh, and then this weekend, things really pop off with uh, a lot of tournaments, a lot of rivalry series. This weekend should be really fun around the country. Let's um let's start this conversation here in Mississippi because there has been some disappointment. There are in some areas a little bit of optimism, in some areas a lot of pessimism about Mississippi State and all this. Plus, you've got uh, Christian Ostrander who's off to a, a pretty good start in uh, in his stint as the head coach at uh, at Southern Miss. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to start there in Hattiesburg, they've got a big weekend ahead with. Indiana State coming in. Uh, the Sycamores were undefeated before they uh, took a, a pretty rough loss uh, by the scoreboard uh, to Vanderbilt last. But that one could be a pretty big deal. Uh, two of the better programs, uh, mid-major wise, going at it. I- I'm very intrigued by that. 
And this, this has been up and down. Haven't really known what to think about them. You know, the Hawaii series was, was tricky. And I, you know, they've got a big one against Iowa. And then Mississippi State, I mean, uh, yeah, another, like, sometimes they look good, sometimes they don't look so good, and, and we're still just kind of trying to get a feel for what they are. Are, are we deep enough in to have an understanding yet of, of what either Ole Miss or Mississippi State are? So, so you, we'll, we'll start with Ole Miss since that's where you started. They go to Hawaii, they, they win the first two, and then they just play really poorly in the next two. And then that carries over after the travel where they lose a midweek game to Arkansas State, they lose the first game against High Point. But in their last three games, the offense has looked a whole lot more like what I think people thought it was going to look like. They've got some veterans in there, some guys that are proven, whether it's at Ole Miss or other places. What's the question for you? Is it about the offense or is it about the pitching? I would say right now it's more about the pitching staff and finding consistency on the weekends. Uh, but that also was my bigger question coming in, and I just feel like it hasn't quite been answered yet. So if you're watching it up close uh, and you're thinking, like, well, this wasn't the offense I was promised, and now I'm worried about that because I was already worried about pitching, you know, I would understand where that's coming from. But I do generally trust what's going on there. Um, you know, I think the Hawaii travel can catch teams sometimes. Four games in Hawaii is a lot. Opening weekend especially, like, I'm not as worried about that as – you know, what happened once they got back to Oxford. But it does seem like they're in a little bit better spot right now. How big of a measuring stick is Iowa this weekend? Iowa is going to come in with a high-end rotation. I mean, Brody Brecht on Friday night is arguably, you know, he's right there with anybody in terms of stuff uh, in the country. Uh, Command is more of his question. But Iowa is coming off of a really bad weekend uh, in their tournament in Jacksonville. And their bullpen just was awful, frankly. Uh, so it's a measuring stick, and the what, what you see in terms of rotation stuff is going to be similar to what you will see in SEC play. Uh, but Iowa seems like they have a not insignificant bullpen issue. So definitely a solid measuring stick, uh, but there are some you know things are going to have to be taken in, in context, I think. So when we talked to Chris Lamonis on Monday this week about Mississippi State, he said he very much still believes in this offense, and that's what you would expect a head coach to say. But it's been a curious start to the year for Mississippi State in so much as there have been some days where the arms on the mound look great, but they couldn't score, and there have been some days where they swung the bats pretty well, but they couldn't pitch. And so kind of tying it all together seems to have been a, a bit of an issue for the Bulldogs so far. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's just kind of early season stuff with so much new on the roster. I think things like that happen. I think that I'm also bullish on where the offense can get to. Um, I, I think they have the talent there. Uh, the, the pitching at times, yeah, it looks really good. At times, it hasn't looked so good. Um, and I Finding consistency on the mound, obviously, is the biggest thing for them. Uh, I, I think the offense will work into it, but uh, you know, right now it just hasn't all clicked for them yet. Brian Haydad, um, who normally is on the show with us, he's out of out of town today. He's going to a wrestling event, Teddy. I mean, come on, he, he's skipping a day of work to go watch wrestling. 
Yes, it's pro wrestling or like high school wrestling. This is not high school wrestling. Okay, this is pro wrestling. I, uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. That's a tough one. You know, it's his thing, and he's got the days off, so so that works. Um, he has said numerous times that if Mississippi State loses more than about five games in the non-conference before SEC play rolls around, he doesn't see any way that they're a postseason team this year. Is that a reasonable litmus test, or does that not really line up for you? Well, I mean, like, in terms of, like, true raw data, there's obviously a pass. If they lose, even if they lose five games before the start of SEC play, uh, you can always make up for that in SEC play. Now, the question is, like, if you're a team that's losing five games, like, are you going to be able to go out and then slip a switch in SEC play? And so I feel like, I don't know if five's the right number, but I, I do understand why there would be concern if that happens. Um, and I don't know, you know, Mississippi, if you do that, like, if, if you start poorly, you have to find confidence at some point later in the season. But the way things have gone at start for the last two years, confidence is probably going to be tough to come by So you in SEC play. So you really need to build that going in. And, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know that five is the right number or not, but, like, that it does raise red flags if they're not playing better uh, by, the, by the time conference play turn, turns around. Yeah, and, Teddy, I wouldn't expect you to have their – week-to-week SEC schedule memorized, but it is brutal. I mean, it is a brutal start to conference play. So we'll keep a close eye on that with Mississippi State. I'm curious if there is anybody in the SEC that has really popped off the page for you, even though we're only eight, nine games in. You know, I would say no at this point, in large part because nobody's really played enough good opponents to do that. You know, I think Georgia at 8-0 is impressive, but you look at who they've played and, you know, you suddenly get less impressed. <laughs> I guess the thing about that's impressive right now is Charlie Condon, who's hitting, like, almost 600. Yeah, that's crazy. He has helped himself immensely in terms of draft stock. Like, people are now talking about, like, could he go first overall, which if you told me that a month ago, I mean, like, that's just not where people were. They've got a big one this weekend against Georgia Tech. Uh, like, the, the competition would step up little bit better idea of like where they're at exactly and and am i mistaken i mean that isn't that two of the best hitters in the entire country that are going to be facing off with condon and what he's done so far with georgia and the uh the freshman at georgia tech that's got a bunch of home runs already yeah drew burris for georgia tech leads the nation in home runs with nine after hitting four in a game yesterday and then uh condon uh leads the nation in hits he's right up there in average but he doesn't lead the nation in average uh, I mean, he has two hits in every game, and uh, yeah, I mean, like those those two guys, like it, it, it's a big offensive uh, showdown in uh, in Georgia this weekend. All right, so I think what I'm hearing you say, uh, Teddy, is that when we talk a week from now, we're all going to have a little bit better feel for what this might look like just two weeks away at that point from the start of SEC play. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at what SEC teams have this weekend. I mean, like. Three, there's three or four like big rivalry weekends. Uh, you got a couple of teams going to tournaments, like LSU uh, is, is going to, to Houston. I mean, we're going to know more. The first couple weekends have been pretty slow from an SEC standpoint, but we're going to know more soon, I think. Teddy, always good to catch up. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Teddy Cahill, visiting with us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. 
Mississippi Farm Bureau. So what he's talking about this weekend, UConn is at Auburn. Um, Vanderbilt is in Houston at Minute Maid Park for the uh, the tournament that they have there every year. Lipscomb's at Kentucky. Mount St. Mary's at Mississippi State. Murray State at Arkansas. Georgia, Georgia Tech, three-game series. Georgia Tech's got, like, the best home run hitter in the world, apparently. Yeah. I mean, he hit four of them yesterday. Uh, Leading the country in home runs is a true freshman, I think. That's uh, Two weeks in. That's not bad. Bowling Green, Tennessee, Northern Kentucky, Missouri. Indiana is taking on Alabama on Friday. Those are two of the teams that are participating in the Frisco College Baseball Classic. You get the uh, the non-conference series between Miami and Florida. It's in Coral Gables. Arizona State uh, taking on Texas A&M. That one's in Arlington. Clemson, South Carolina do their 1-1-1 series this weekend. Three different locations. Iowa at Ole Miss and uh, also at uh, Minute Maid LSU in Texas. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Do you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Will be the title sponsor for the upcoming college baseball series at Trustmark Park, including games Southern Miss and Mississippi State on March 5th, Ole Miss and Southern Miss on March 19th, and the Governor's Cup, Mississippi State and Ole Miss on May 1st. You can get your tickets online at mscollegeseries.com. And for uh, more information, mscollegeseries.com. Whether you're Southern Miss, Mississippi State or Ole Miss fan, you won't want to miss out. So grab your tickets now at mscollegeseries.com before they run out. Excited about that? Oh, yeah. Do you, You'll you go to those, won't you? For sure. Right here in the backyard. Right here in the backyard, and then I'll go to as many Braves games as I can before they ship themselves out of town. And Looking forward to that, though. Yeah. it's uh, It's coming. It'll be here pretty quickly. Um, we'll be at the uh, Governor's Cup broadcast yeah. live there from uh, Trustmark Park on we think May Haydad's 1st. Mood's going to be on May 1st. Kelso, I think he's feeling my pain. He said, Richard, you're making my throat scratchy, pal. My apologies. So I went through this a few weeks ago, and you remember I had the... Um, that Mississippi State Auburn game that Friday before, yeah, rare Friday where I was working, Borky, it just left me. Like I got through a segment or two and I was dead. Um, made it through the game the next day. Made it through. It was not. It was not wonderful, but made it through. And all the medicines kind of kicked in and whatever. But man, I don't know. You got allergy stuff that's starting to kind of pop. Weather oh yeah, the stinky like trees crazy. are uh, are blooming, which maybe this cold snap will like prevent them from being so stinky. Mm, I don't know, because they stink. They do. I've got one in my yard. I don't want it there. And Brad it stinks. Yeah. 
Although they're really when they're in full bloom, they're really nice looking for as long as you have the windows up. Yeah, they're they're beautiful. But they smell gross. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, of all the trees, it, and for some reason, the previous owner at my house decided, I'm going to give you a stinky tree, and I'm going to give you 15, 15 different um, crepe myrtles around the house. Those are the worst trees on the planet. Whoever saw that, you know, back in the 1700s or whatever, and they saw yeah. that tree in the wild and thought, you know, we should take that and put that around our homes. I hope that person is not resting in peace. I disagree with you. I like a crepe myrtle, but it has to be planted in the proper place. If it's too close to the house, you got problems. Mm-hmm. But if you get it away from the house a little bit, I mean, they're beautiful. All of my, all of mine but one are within, like, if you have your back to the house, like, mm-hmm. you can reach out and touch it. Yeah, all of them. That, that's that's too close. I've removed four of the 15, and I, I'm working on more. They're, of course, they're difficult to remove because they just pop up everywhere. Yeah. The growth is insane. They are very nice looking, but, uh, I mean, what happened to just regular trees? Like, why, why couldn't they put that around my house? Uh, it's a reasonable question, but, you know, they grow fast. They, yeah. they are pretty when they're in bloom. Yes, they are. Uh, my favorite yard work is taking, I've got an axe. I use an axe because it's, like, therapeutic. And when when I hack off all of the, the limbs, mm-hmm. I know you're not really supposed to prune them that way, but I need to keep them short because of, of how tall they get, how, how quickly they get. The the therapy involved in just taking an axe and just poof, 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 for like three hours to get them all down, that's awesome. It's my favorite yard work. You're talking about crepe myrtles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like completely removing them? No, just the... So there's, there's the one trunk, right? Right, right, right. And I remove all of the, the limbs off of them. Oh, you're not doing it right. Please. I know, but that's the only way I can keep them short enough. Crepe murder is what it's called. And, and I, I murder the heck out of those things, and I feel I feel really good things when I'm doing it. If you're going to do it that way, you got to just get a chainsaw. <laughs> that would actually be even more therapeutic, I think, but ultimately the chainsaw would just cause me to cut them down from the base, mm. and I have no plan to fill it out uh, after I do that. And, you know, you got to remove all the stumps, and that's expensive, and I just, you know. Yeah. Um, hoops tonight. Big one in Oxford. Big one at Oxford. Ole Miss and Alabama. I told you earlier that the uh, line on the game is a little surprising when you you, you see that Ole Miss is only a a five-and-a-half-point underdog. Ole Miss coming off a double-digit home loss to South Carolina. In which they didn't shoot it well coming off of a a game at Mississippi State in which they didn't shoot it well coming off of a... You get my point. They have not shot the basketball well for what seems like years, but you know, for at least a, a few weeks, they really have struggled scoring. And, and this Alabama team, again, their home road splits are are different for sure. They're not as good on the road, but man, if Alabama's feeling themselves tonight and, and they're making shots early, then it could be a really long game. Alabama eleven and three in the SEC. 19 and 8 overall. They are 13 and 1 at home this year. 7 of their 8 losses this season have come on the road. 
four and four in true road games, two and three in neutral site games. And you remember, remember back at the beginning of the year, we, we talked about how difficult the non-conference schedule was that Alabama played. It's the reason that their net is so high. I mean, they've been top ten in the net all season long, but they played a murderer's row. But we've also seen Alabama kind of come to life, right? Uh, you win 11 out of 14 games in the SEC, you're doing something really right. Most recently, we saw Alabama in Lexington. That was on Saturday. And they scored 95 in a loss. So, Borky, you talk about their home and road splits being different. You're right. They are. But in their last three road games, they've scored 95 in a loss to Kentucky, 109 in a win at LSU, and just 81, but that was in the rivalry game, round two, loss to Auburn. Yeah. And just 81. Yeah. I mean, their splits are off a little bit from a win-loss standpoint, but they score. Yeah. And it's it's the style they play with the shooters they've got. And then there's some nice pieces there as well. Grant Taylor's been pretty good for them. Obviously, Mark Sears has been outstanding. Leading the SEC in scoring. Just phenomenal. Averaging over 20 points a game. One of two players in the SEC averaging 20 a game. You've got Mark Sears at Alabama and Dalton Connect at Tennessee. And they're two great scorers. So, What's Ole Miss got to do tonight? Uh, this is why I get paid the big bucks. Uh, they got to shoot well. But that's the thing, man. It, it, they really do. They, they have to make shots at a higher volume than they do because even if Alabama struggles a little bit, they are just so potent that, I mean, Morrell and, and Murray's going to have to come out of his slump and, and you're going to have to get some outside looks from Breakfield. And, I mean, you're, you're going to have to score at a, at a high volume. Luckily for Ole Miss, if they're lacking in confidence, the way Alabama plays defense could lead you to get some open looks and build some confidence. But I just I, I worry about their ability to hang with somebody in a high-scoring game because lately they haven't shown the ability to do that. But they they got to score. They got to make outside shots. That's their offense. They got to play outside in, and it, if they're not hitting from the outside early, then they might get blitzed. So, you know, again, that's why I get paid the big bucks. Ole Miss has to score the ball to win a, a game. But really, that's their only offense. Is this kind of Ole Miss's last stand? Yep. Like, if they if they somehow find a way to win tonight, then look out. Maybe they get that boost that they need. They find a way to beat Georgia on the road. They beat Missouri on the road. Come back and roll it out there against Texas A&M, and they make Jerry Palm look like Nostradamus for still having them in the tournament at this point. Or they don't play well. They don't make shots. They're not connected on the defensive end. They give up a bunch of points, and they just kind of shut it down. Yeah. I mean, you would think that Chris Beard, if – 
if they were discouraged or anything uh, after the South Carolina loss, he can use those projections as like, hey, guys, you're not out of this yet. You know, it's still right there for you as a way to keep them motivated because they're not out of it yet. Is it a razor-thin margin for error? Sure, but there's still something on the line tonight. And so, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you hope that they uh, they play like it because they did not play like it on Saturday. Four different Alabama players scoring in double figures. Mark Sears averaging 20 a game. Aaron Estrada, 13 a game to go along with five rebounds. 12 a game. From the Seabrook Paint Doc. I listen to that work. That work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. pitching for Missouri State today, but he has kind of mowed through the Ole Miss lineup through the first couple of innings. Missouri State leading 2-0 over Ole Miss as they head to the top of the third inning. Second game in as many days for Ole Miss, playing two midweek games. So, let's see, Ole Miss has sent eight hitters to the plate. And... Pitcher from Missouri State's got three strikeouts so far. He's given up one hit. Yeah. It's not walked about her. Pass ball led to a run mm. for Missouri State and also uh, allowed a guy to move up in the scoring position that scored on a single later. So two pass balls led to two Missouri State runs. Not exactly the, the cleanliness that you were hoping for. Not to be a homer because I like Campbell Smithwick so much. That was ruled a wild pitch, not a pass ball. Ah. Okay. Which the delineation is, did it hit the dirt or not? Usually. On a ball in the dirt. If, it's, if it hits the dirt first, then it's usually scored a wild pitch. If it hits the catcher first, it's usually a pass ball. The ones that drive you crazy, though, Borky, are the ones that you see hit off a catcher's mitt and bounce with. Come on. Mm-hmm. Squeeze it. Squeeze it. Uh, let's see here. Ceasefire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five. Somebody sends us a picture of the crepe myrtle in their yard, and they said, "Is this about it, Richard, or should I cut more of the little limbs off?" Uh, you have sufficiently murdered it, and what you end up with when you cut them like that is knobs. I mean, that's where you get the big fist-sized knobs in your branches as they're growing up. I'm not trying to be garden mama here. Nellie Neal can tell you way more about this on Saturday mornings, but the way that you are supposed to trim crepe myrtles, at least as I understand it, is you get up high and you cut the, the kind of wispy stems at the top and you just allow it to continue to grow. So. See, I, see, I can't have that considering how close they are to the house because they'll start, I mean, they're they're bothering and destroying the roof. Mm. That's an issue. Yeah, because they, they hang over the roof and then when the, the flowers and stuff fall, they it, it's a whole ordeal. You got gutter guards? I only have gutters on the front of the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird deal. The uh, The previous owners of that place, I would love to know what they had going on in there. There's also an, an, an antenna in my attic. It is huge. It's like eight, six, eight feet long. I mean, it is long. 
And, I mean, it, it's a two, three inches thick or so, and it's up in the attic. And, and there's a a plug that comes from the antenna into my living room yeah. that can plug into the back of the TV, but it does not function. Huh? So I don't know what they were doing or who they were summoning or whatever with this gigantic... I mean, that sounds like somebody gave them an old-school antenna instead of going and buying one of the small, easy-to-use antennas that you can just plug into the back of your TV. I it's like guess. someone's like, hey, you want this one? Sure. It's huge, though, and, and it's painted bl- it's all, It's black, so you can't see it unless you know it's there because it's like when you get up into the attic, it's far away, like on the other side of the house, but it is a huge antenna up there. Mm. So I don't know what the heck they were doing, summoning aliens or whatever. Maybe so. Wonder if they found anything. Probably. You um, you mentioned this yesterday, Borky. We never got to it. Um, new salary cap for the NFL is it was like a thirty million, thirty one million dollar bump this year for teams. Yeah, and like fifteen more than people expected it to be. Is that just based on revenue generated by the league? It's yeah, it's revenue generated by the league. So the the cap is only. It's a it's a number that can't be manipulated because it's strictly based on revenue and the players get forty eight and a half percent and and that's how it goes. The only year that it's gone down since I've been alive was the COVID year. Mm. That was the only year that the NFL had to scale back the salary cap. Well, because they didn't make as much money. Two hundred fifty five point four million is the salary cap. That's what teams have got to spend on players this year. Uh, it's up more than $30 million from last year, well beyond, as Borky just said a second ago, all of the recent estimates. It's insane. Yeah. It really is. Um, and, you know, Combine's happening this week, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, teams are going to start cutting guys. Uh, the Saints are going to cut Mike Thomas, uh, I believe. He didn't really have a tradable contract that anybody would take on anyway, but um, it's franchise tagging season, it's cut season, it's draft season. You've had Caleb Williams had to address the rumors that he wouldn't go to Chicago. Uh, he has said that he would go anywhere that picks him. He's he's not going to engage in, if you pick me, I'm not going there, so trade out of that spot. That's probably a good, uh, at least a good public statement. And, you know, Chicago is not, they haven't won a lot lately, but the roster in, in the setup right now is actually not the worst spot you could go to. If you say I'm not going to Chicago, and then the Commanders trade up to one, would you rather go there? Yeah, or would you rather be in Bryce, um, Bryce Young, Bryce Young shoes? Yeah, in Carolina, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but he put that to bed, and so the next question is, where does Justin Fields go? A lot of people talking to a, uh, talking about Atlanta for him. Uh, the the GM of the Bears said. If we trade Justin, we're going to do it right. Well, that means you're trading him, and you're going to pick Caleb Williams number one. So a lot of moving parts in uh, in the football world right now because of combine and all that stuff. We did get an answer to your antenna question. So that's an analog-style antenna, so that would be before all of the um, over-the-air stations started broadcasting in a digital format. That's why it doesn't work. Okay. I like my alien theory. The, uh, theory better but i do appreciate the actual like truthful answer to the why that giant antenna is up in my house and then there's some people wondering if it's a uh ham radio antenna are you familiar with ham radio borky uh not let's see so so that's the old school people had an antenna and they would have a cb radio 
in their house in much the way that truck drivers have. I guess truck drivers still use that some and could communicate all over the place. It very well could be. It looks like these pictures. Now, there's not... It's it's long like this, and there's a couple outcroppings, but there's not near as many as these pictures uh, look like. But there's also this weird deal where there's, like, plug-ins in every single room of the house, every bedroom, everything, where, like, you could plug speakers in because the speakers back in the day, they say back in the day, you had to use those special wires and match red with black and then, like, clamp them down uh, for the big boom boxes and stuff. There's one of those connections in every room as well. I've assumed that they were connected, but... Mm, maybe. Maybe. Um, somebody said ham is shortwave radio, and it's usually on a really tall tower. Uh, Dan in Hattiesburg says, and, and I thought about this earlier, he said your HOA probably didn't allow an outdoor antenna, so they put a larger one in the attic to make up for the signal loss. He says, yes, I once worked for Radio Shack, but that's before your time. <laughs> Speaking of before your time, when we were in, I think Haydad would remember this. I'm sure some of you listening remember this. In probably junior high, you took an aptitude test, and it was to get an idea for the things that you're interested in and the things that are um, potential career paths for you. And one of the options that was on there was a ham radio operator. So my wife, Jane, didn't know exactly what a ham radio was at the time. Or maybe she did know what it was. And then when we first met and she found out that I was working in radio, she she thought that that meant I was one of those guys that like sat in the back bedroom of the house talking on... A CB radio to nice. truckers and trying to communicate with aliens and whatever else. Ham radio style. That was not what I was doing. Oh, it wasn't? No. I do remember, like, some friends of my grandparents growing up had those. Yeah. And it may have been farm-related. It could have been that you had some tractors or trucks on the farm that had CB radios in them. And people would use that as a way to communicate because there obviously weren't cell phones at the time. You didn't have a landline in a truck or a tractor, or maybe yeah. even in your shop on the farm. You might or might not, but that was the best way to communicate. So those are pretty common. It's wild how quickly things have evolved, right? I mean, there are people listening to this right now that had to call somebody that would... That, that were sitting behind this big board where they had to take a wire and plug it into a different slot to get you to talk to somebody else. And now you pull out this little rectangle in your pocket and you touch it a couple of times and you've got anything you want to know in the entire world at your hands. By the way, I have been corrected on the C Spire text line. Ham is not CB radio. CB is citizen's band. Ham is shortwave radio. It requires a license and has a lot of regulations. Justin in Tupelo says, as a young man, a few friends and I connected a CB to our old school TV antenna to talk trash to truck drivers over about a 50-mile <laughs> radius. Aaron in Madison said he was the official antenna spinner at Deer Camp. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll take a timeout. We're back with you right after this. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Trayson Hughes struck out to start the bottom of the third, but since then, Randall walked on a full count, and Ethan Groff was hit in the leg on a 1-2 pitch, and so Ole Miss has first and second with one out for Andrew Fisher, who's batting in the two-hole. Ole Miss trailing 2-0 to Missouri State in the bottom of the third inning. So we will uh, keep an eye on that one. Ole Miss trying to kind of get something going offensively. Borky, you you pointed out yesterday that there is a difference in the NCAA tournament projections. You've got Joe Lenardi, who is the most talked about bracketologist, um, because he works for ESPN, and he's been doing it for a really long time. uh, Jerry Palm at CBS also does field projections, and there are lots of others out there, but those are the two probably most mainstream. Um, Joe Lenardi currently has Ole Miss in the next four out group. He's got first, has them first of the next four out. Jerry Palm still has Ole Miss in the last four in. Yeah. What do you think the discrepancy is? And that's what I'd love to know. And I've been thinking about it all day, and I can't quite figure it out. Because, I mean, you know, the um, qualifier is the bubble's always bad. Bad teams are on the bubble. Teams on the bubble lose just because Ole Miss lost on Saturday. Didn't mean everybody else won, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a rather significant gap between being in the field at this moment and among the next four teams out. The metrics do not favor Ole Miss. We know that. The non-conference schedule is doing them no favors uh, at this moment. They have not played good basketball uh, lately either. But if Palm is right, a win tonight means that Ole Miss doesn't have to be perfect. But even if you believe Lenardi, a win tonight puts them right firmly back in the conversation. I think there was a bit of an overreaction to the South Carolina loss as, uh, well, they're done, they're not going to make the tournament now, like in terms of number of wins. Now, if you think that at the way they played means that they're not going to, that's a different conversation. But a win tonight changes things for them with either one, but there's still a really significant gap between the two, and I'd love to know why. Game tonight is on ESPN2, has an 8 o'clock tip-off. Dane Bradshaw is the color analyst on the game. He will join us coming up at uh, 520. So we'll have the college football fix, and we'll get into a basketball conversation with Dane coming up as well. Ken Palm has Ole Miss ranked 73rd, and that's the exact same place that Joe Lunardi has them in terms of a seed line. He's got them as the number 73 team, which was five spots out of that last 68th spot. So if you look at the matchup tonight with Alabama, Ken Palm predicts Alabama to win the game by 7, 88-81, and gives Alabama a 73% chance to win the game. So it's not over yet, I guess, is the the crux of this conversation. It... 
The way they're playing makes you think that it is, no doubt. The way they played against South Carolina was, was frankly, bad. I mean, South Carolina looked like the team that was fighting for their NCAA tournament life, not Ole Miss. Yeah. But they have an opportunity tonight. It's not over yet. If this goes the way Ken Palm projects it to go over the final four games of the regular season, then Ole Miss will finish 2-2 two and two in these last four games. They'll be 8-10 and 10 in SEC play, and it'll take a run to Saturday, maybe Sunday, in the SEC tournament. Then you're talking about hosting an NIT game. And if he's right still, I mean, think back to October. That's right. If he's right, that's... But but in terms of percentage chance to win the final four games, Ole Miss with a 27% chance tonight against Alabama, a 60% chance Saturday at Missouri, a 41% chance at Georgia, and then a 57% chance to win in the final game of the regular season at home against Texas A&M. If you flip one of those three... And you finish three and one. Now you're talking about nine and nine in the SEC. And there certainly have been years where a nine win SEC team has gotten in. Yeah, saw an eight win Mississippi State team get in last year in conference. Weren't they eight and ten in the league last year? I believe you're correct. So it's not impossible. We'll see what kind of a home court advantage Ole Miss has tonight. They need it. I I thought the crowd was pretty significantly down Saturday against South Carolina. And an 8 o'clock tip-off on a Wednesday night. It may be a tall order to expect a, uh, a big, big crowd. But Ole Miss certainly needs that home court advantage tonight with Alabama coming in. Rebels have got the bases loaded with one out in the bottom of the third inning. And Missouri State has made a pitching change. We'll get you up to date on what happened in the bottom of the third when we come back. College football fix to start the 5 o'clock hour. Then Dane Bradshaw joins us on the Farm Bureau guest line. is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Happy to be with you in the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort is the home of entertainment, whether it's at the Sportsbook, at the Golden Moon Casino, with world-class gaming, with great dining options, Geyser Falls, Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, or one of the concerts or comedy shows that is coming your way this spring and summer. They got you covered in the entertainment aspect. Learn more online at Pearl River Resort. Ceasefire text line is open to you at 601-879-4395. You've got your business, and Ceasefire's got your back. 
with best-in-class technology solutions powered by their team of 200-plus certified engineers. As your managed IT services partner, C Spire delivers the tools and expertise you need to grow and protect your business. Collaboration, networking, cybersecurity, cloud solutions, you name it, C Spire will connect you to it. Learn more online at cspire.com slash business, C Spire, customer inspired. Alongside Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Brian Haydad is off today. He is in the state of Alabama. I think it's Huntsville. Okay. I mean... Quick Google search. If we really cared, we could figure it out. Yeah, but... AEW Wrestling tonight. And yes, I forgot that he was off and tried to include him in our call this morning, and you guys just laughed at me. He was on his walk, though. He uh, Got that in before he left. Yep, getting his steps in. Uh, let's jump into the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford... And your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Truck month going on. Ford F-Series, best-selling trucks in America for 47 straight years. 47 years. There you go. Test drive Ford F-Series at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Southern Miss has announced its schedule for spring football. And we're uh, we're starting to get more of those. We're starting to get some pre-spring press conferences and some head coach interviews that are floating around out there. After what has been a uh, a fairly quiet month, wouldn't you say? Very quiet month. I mean, there's been some legislative stuff, but here we are at the end of February, and you really got to go back to what mid-January for the national championship game and. And a little bit of stuff that happened after that. It's been pretty quiet. So it's about time to ramp it up on the football front. First practice for Southern Miss was actually yesterday. And spring break notwithstanding, they're going to fall into the old Jimmy Buffett routine. They're going to go Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. That was a tour. A tour named Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And an album also, I think. Uh, got started yesterday, primarily morning practices. They'll go tomorrow morning at 8. They will practice at 9.30 on Saturday, then go Tuesday, Thursday, and then t- take the week off for spring break. They come back and get started on March the 19th, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Then they'll go Tuesday, Thursday, take another weekend off, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. They actually really stretch it out. And Will Hall has talked to us some about that in the past. There are a lot of coaches that want to get in, get those practices, get done, have the spring game, and move on. Will Hall is not one of those guys. He loves football, and he told us, I think it was last year leading into the spring, he's like, why would we condense this? Why would we make it short? We want to get as much as we can and stretch it out as long as we can in the spring. So spring practice for Southern Miss started yesterday, and we'll go through April 11th. It's a long time. It is. Which is good. I'm so interested in spring football this year, uh, around here anyway. Yeah. And that, that's usually not the case, right? I mean, it. it there are a lot of people in our business that kind of just rag on spring practice and, and things like that. And there are other people that talk about it as if it's like the most important thing on the planet. I, I tend to fall somewhere in the middle. It's interesting. It's content. But also, you don't get a whole lot out of it. This year here... 
is a little bit different because for the three Division One schools here, they're in three different places, and it's yeah. kind of amazing, right? You've got Ole Miss, preseason top ten team, portal players going to be participating in the spring. You'll get to see Walter Nolan and Uman Mielin and Juice Wells and, and these guys for the first time. So that's cool and interesting and compelling also. I mean, I don't think you're going to see much of Jackson Dart was injured at the end of last year. Wouldn't expect a lot of Jackson Dart. Wouldn't, Wouldn't expect, expect a, lot a lot of Jackson Dart. No, no reason, uh, really, either, yeah. uh, aside from coming off of injuries. So you're going to get a look at the, the quarterbacks of the future also. So very compelling there. For Mississippi State, it's all new. I mean, everything's new. Basically, the entire roster is new, or at least it should be anyway. Your entire offensive line is new. New quarterback, new wide receivers, new coach, new coordinators. And then for Southern Miss, it's new quarterback, transfer quarterback from Florida State, also coach that better win. Yeah. Because if he doesn't, it's going to get dicey. So we've got all three very interesting for different reasons all at the same time. And you have different coaches that take different approaches to spring practice. Will Hall places a pretty significant emphasis on it, as we were just talking yeah. about. Likes to stretch it out over a month and a half, basically. And that's what he's doing. They're around his team a lot. They will go through those practices and kind of do their thing. I've never gotten the impression that Lane Kiffin cared a whole lot about spring practice. Um, they take very few risks in terms of injuries. If you got guys that are doing anything in terms of rehab or trying to stay healthy, they limit the workload in the spring. You have a veteran quarterback returning, a veteran receiving core returning. I do think it's a, an important spring for Walker Howard. Yeah, I'm curious what the workload is going to be like for Austin Simmons, who is literally pitching right now. Just stepped onto the mound for Ole Miss in the top of the fourth inning, and has been good so far. And Mike Bianco told us on Monday he's like he's special. Ole Miss, by the way, scored four runs in the bottom of the third inning, and they lead four to two over Missouri State. Now headed to the top of the fourth. Yeah, and th- that is interesting too because Jackson Dart will be gone after this year. Mm-hmm. Walker, if if Simmons is pitching in baseball, I, I can't imagine he'd do much football practice considering they're playing games and stuff in baseball. And if they're using him like this, then yeah. he's not going to miss baseball games for football practice. So for, Ole Miss does practice in the mornings. You going to double up? I guess so. John Rice Plumley did last year. We got videos to prove it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Get the uh, the bailed on the baseball game, jumped in a golf cart, scooted across campus, and joined the team for their spring game last year. By the way, I don't remember what my take was at the time, but the more I think about it, leaving a real, actual game to go to a football scrimmage in the spring is nuts to me. And the baseball coach for allowing that to happen, I think, is nuts. That's nuts to me. But anyway. it's only 15 practices. It's the spring, the year before the competition begins. But if Walker Howard gets, you know, 75 whatever percent of the reps, and if the spring game is on the same day as a baseball game, then he's your spring game quarterback. That does give him some level of a leg up, uh, whether it be gigantic or tiny, going into the competition next year. And oh, by the way, Jackson Dart has often been injured or hurt. He's pl- he's played hurt. All three years. 
Yeah. He was hurt at USC. He's played hurt the last two years yeah, at they're, Ole Miss. They're going to they're gonna limit the workload for Jackson Dart in the spring. Oh, I'm not talking about I'm just saying during the season. Yeah. So if that day comes where he turns an ankle and can't go for the Georgia Southern game, then here's Walker Howard's opportunity after having a spring and early summer without any competition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you make a good point. And so there's some there's some cool storylines with a lot of new faces surrounding Ole Miss's spring practice. Blake Shapin is interesting. I mean, Pete, well, hold, hold that thought just for a second. Pete Golding used spring practice as the initial, installa- initial installation time for that defense a year ago. Now, they had more pieces that they added post-spring, and it turned out okay, but with a first-year defensive coordinator, that was a big deal. Yeah. So... Let's move down the road to Starkville just a little bit. First-year head coach, who is an offensive guy, so they're installing a, a new offense with a new quarterback in Blake Shapin coming in. A lot of new wide receivers. There were some early enrollees out of that wide receiver group. New defensive coordinator. A lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball. This feels like an important spring to me, for Mississippi State. Oh, no doubt. I mean, so much to get done. Ten pitches and back-to-back strikeouts for Austin Simmons. The left-hander who's about 93 with the fastball. He, he was helped, by the way, by a generous strike zone just a moment ago. But, hey, you'll take it if you're on the mound. That's your college football fix. Driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Coming up next, Dane Bradshaw joins us on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. From the Venable... Hey guys! What happened? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. We go back to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Dane Bradshaw joins us now, college basketball analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network. He is in Oxford tonight for a uh, a basketball game that is big, as we've been talking about, for uh, an Ole Miss team that has not been playing its best as of late. Dane, thanks as always for joining us. Good to catch up. Likewise. Appreciate you having me, man. All right, so this is a tough matchup tonight, I think, for Ole Miss against Alabama. You know, partly because they're really good, eleven and three, but the style that this Alabama team plays, where they get up and down the floor so fast, they are looking for perimeter shots. They make a bunch of them, and they try to get to the rim. And Ole Miss, frankly, has had some defensive issues along the way. When you look at this matchup tonight, what do you see? Well. Uh... Ole Miss has got to mix up their defensive coverages. So this is an Alabama team that you're not just going to be able to defend them and say, hey, here's the one strategy we're going to have. You try to do a few things, or excuse me, try to do one thing, maybe a few possessions, then mix it up. Try to keep them a little bit off kilter because Nate Oaks, you're right, they, they want to push the ball up the court. Their goal is to score in the first eight seconds. And 
they're really good at not just playing fast, but getting good open looks while playing fast. So that's why they're the number one offense in the nation. And uh, if you're Ole Miss, I think you, you, you've got to play smart in the fact that hey, I'm not sure we're going to outscore them, but if we can make them take just a little bit tougher shots, and they've got some really left-hand dominant guys, Mark Sears, Aaron Estrada, um, try to play them to their weak hand some, easier said than done. And, but then for, for Ole Miss, the challenge hasn't always been, all right, how, how's the first shot defense? Can we make the team miss? It's, it's can you go get the defensive rebound? And that's where Ole Miss has been last in conference play. And so they've got to try to make Alabama one and done on that end of the court. Because you get a great Alabama team, a second shot um, on, on the offensive end, uh, now you're asking for a 100-point game from them. Dane, why don't more teams play the style that Alabama plays? It's a fun style to watch. If you have a night where you're not making shots, I guess it could be really frustrating for a fan because that that's the time you've got a chance to to maybe get run out of the gym. But that doesn't happen very often to this Alabama team under Nate Oates. Why don't more people play this style? Well, I think it starts with, with recruiting and can you get five guys, as Nate Oates like to say, that can pass, shoot, and dribble. And they don't have perfect personnel this year, but typically they want to have even their five men being able to step out and shoot the three, be able to handle the ball, handle the ball a little bit, maybe not like a point guard, but at least uh, with some confidence. And that's what allows them to play so fast and space the floor so well because you could run that same offense. But if you don't have the guys that are threats from the perimeter – then it doesn't matter how far your offensive players are spaced out. The defense is going to say, fine, have fun out there. We're going to sag back. So uh, I think that's a big part where it starts. And then I, I really respect about Nate Oates is how he teaches these guys to play in the off season, in the preseason, within the framework of their offense. Because he says, look, I don't want to call any plays. And he really doesn't call any plays unless it's a timeout or a dead ball situation. You're not going to see Ole Miss score Alabama get the ball to the net and look at their head coach for what are we doing next. It doesn't happen. They get it up the court. They play smart with a high IQ, and that doesn't happen overnight, but it's a belief in their system. I will say, while teams aren't running the exact same stuff, Richard, you look at last year, Missouri led the SEC in three-point percentage at 35%. Big reason why they were able to really kind of shock the league in Dennis Gates' first year. That would finish sixth this year. Mm. So teams are adding shooters. They're getting better from the perimeter. And it's one of those like, hey, if, if you're not a three-point threat, you don't have much of a chance to win. You, you guys have seen that with Ole Miss. When they're shooting, you know, that 38 to 40 percent from three, they're winning games. When they're not, they're not. So, Dane, on, on Saturday, and, and I did the game on Saturday, one of the things that stood out to me was, I mean, Ole Miss did not shoot it well. They had their worst shooting game of the entire season. But I thought South Carolina deserved a ton of credit. I don't think Ole Miss had uh, – I mean, I think – I'm trying to remember. They took 15, 14, 18 threes. I, I don't remember what the number was. They didn't have more than one or two that were open looks. I mean, South Carolina really locked them down. I don't know that we would say that defense is the calling card for this Alabama team. Do you expect Ole Miss to have some open looks tonight? I do, um, and I think the faster pace of play will bring more energy uh, to the court than what you guys saw, although I'm sure everybody was frustrated. I mean, you had a South Carolina team 
this was a huge opportunity for Ole Miss to get on track, get revenge against South Carolina, and they look sluggish. But South yeah. Carolina can can do that to you. I do think this more exciting pace uh, is is going to favor Ole Miss, so to speak, um, and just in terms of, of them getting in a better offensive rhythm and flow. That might mean they're giving up more points, of course, but are they going to be a little bit more confident offensively? I, I will say, though, Alabama's coming off their worst defensive performance of the year against Kentucky. They gave a 117. The the issue with playing a team after that is they've been humbled. <laughs> That's been the message for the past few days in practice, um, and it's a wake-up call for the team. And so sometimes you, you don't like to be the team that facing them right after that because the team's going to get the message. Now, will they have, will that message have staying power? That remains to be seen. But oftentimes, look, if a team gives up 25 offense, offensive rebounds in a game, there's a pretty good chance next game they're going to correct that. And so that that's where I think um, don't be surprised if, if Alabama looks uh, much more competitive on the defensive end tonight against Ole Miss after really being embarrassed on the road at Rupp. And it's an Alabama team that is very much in the chase for a conference championship again. Tennessee and Alabama both at eleven and three. South Carolina both at at ten and four. Yeah, Kentucky, I guess, with an outside shot, still at ten and five. When you look at those five teams in particular, and you kind of take a look at the remaining schedules, because there are a couple of those teams that have got hard remaining schedules. South Carolina probably at the top of the list. Who's got the inside track to to getting the regular season crown in the SEC? Boy, um, I think it ends up being Tennessee and Alabama. This isn't an exciting answer. I think they end up at a tie at fourteen and four, mm. and they I think in the tiebreaker would be head to head. I think Alabama beats Tennessee at home, which would make them split. So I think they'd split the head to head, and then you get the tiebreaker where they kind of go in descending order on you know what the best record is against the number three team in the league, and then. So on and so forth before it gets. Yeah, that, uh, the that was not broker. a sexy answer. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I, that's where I think they are now. Now Tennessee, they've got Auburn, then they go um, at South Carolina at Ala- or excuse me at Alabama, then at South Carolina, and then they host Kentucky. So Tennessee's got mm. the toughest schedule. Um, Auburn has the more favorable schedule. Uh, out of all those, but they are a game back right now, and so I, I think, and I think Tennessee wins at home against Auburn. So I think by the end of the night, Tennessee's got a two-game lead on Auburn. So I, I really do. I think it's, I think it's Tennessee and Alabama, and if Tennessee can find a way to win on the road at Alabama uh, on Saturday, then then obviously I think the, the Vols get it. But um, if they don't, then I think it ends up in a in a tie between those two teams. Dane, only a minute and a half or so left. Um, your thoughts on that game last night between Kentucky and Mississippi State? I mean, we spent the entire first hour talking about all the different angles. I thought it was a tremendous basketball game with two incredible freshmen that just absolutely rose to the occasion. Yeah, and freshmen that just have something different about them, that just rise to the occasion. They love the moment. Um, a confidence, but not a cockiness. And guys that are easy to root for. And, um, and Chris Jans has said that about Hubbard all the time. When, when I think it was – was it Hubbard's first uh, road game in the SEC? I don't know if it was one of his first or not, but against Ole Miss, he's like, you know, I didn't even have to talk to him about the environment. I just – I knew he'd be ready. It's yeah. just kind of who he is. And Reed Shepard has uh, certainly the composure and poise and steadiness 
um, unlike any freshman I've seen in quite some time. His efficiency is just off the charts. And you just didn't think for a guy like Reed Shepard, that sort of efficiency, shooting over 50% from three, those were all good stories, you know, first 10 games of the season. But surely that couldn't carry over into the conference play and into March. And that's exactly what's happened. So uh, Kentucky is not a perfect team. But, boy, those fans at at, uh, at Kentucky, they love this team. They love yeah. their personality. It's one of the more likable teams. You can see why. Um, and you just hope that their defense uh, doesn't end their season uh, shorter than than maybe Kentucky fans would hope. Only 30 seconds. I know this is a crazy question. Do we get Reed Shepard another year in the SEC? Or does the NBA <laughs> like him enough that, that he's out? Oh, the, the NBA certainly likes him enough, and you, his steals, his shot blocking, his athleticism, efficiency, coachability, all those things. Uh, now, does Reed Shepard say, you know what, I can make some pretty darn good money in NIL and run back can. another year? That's 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 the only that would be the only way. But when when you're what I think will be a projected lottery pick, uh, I could see Coach Calipari saying, if you want to do what's best for you, go to the league. If you want to do what's best for me, come on back. That's usually his pitch to those guys. You know, Dane Bradshaw would have mopped up in the NIL pool as well. Dane, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> have a good call tonight. Alright, thanks buddy. See you. Dane Bradshaw on the Farm Bureau guest line. From the Seabrook Paint Doc. Okay. Let's go. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Austin Simmons for Ole Miss, two innings of work, one hit, one unearned run, three strikeouts, and a walk on just 34 pitches. So, pretty good work from him. Yeah. Ole Miss leading 5-3 to three over Missouri State, midweek game. Rebels um, trying to just build on a little momentum. Won the final two of the weekend against High Point. Won yesterday. And uh, trying to make it four in a row. With a huge arm coming in on uh, on Friday with, uh, with Iowa. Dane said something that stood out to me, by the way. Talked about the possibility of Shepard declining being a fringe NBA prospect possibly after this first year. Maybe not guaranteed money. Maybe two-way deal or whatever. I don't know. He said lottery pick. Well, but... The, the option to return for NIL money sparked something that uh, I saw earlier today. So the combine's going on right now. The NFL draft, obviously, following not too terribly long after that. The number of players, underclassmen, that have declared has been basically cut in half. There are far fewer underclassmen that have declared for the NFL draft than in years past, and that, they say, is a direct attribution to the fact that you had a bunch of guys that, you know, some players grow up in families with a lot of money, and they're comfortable, and it's all good, and they can stay in college for other. Other players, not so much. There are some guys that, you know, want to take care of mom or dad, or, you know, some of these guys have, have children themselves, and if they think that... I'm healthy now, I just have to go and 
get a contract so I can get paid and they would do it and sign undrafted free agent deals or get drafted in the super late rounds because of the current setup in college sports, but in college football, those fringe prospects are not taking that risk of getting into a training camp and cut because they don't get drafted. They're able to stay in school, take care of what they need to take care of, improve their stock, or get a degree. While getting a nice paycheck to go along with it. Paycheck and grant money and all the, I mean, everything that comes with that. It That is happening and on the same day that uh, the NFL player survey got released. This is something we talk about a good bit. So the players are anonymously given a survey where they rank their organization. They give them a grade based on, are the facilities nice? Is the locker room adequate? Your uh, the, the cafeteria at the facility, is it open? And, and, you, and you grade them based on what they provide. The Chiefs got a horrible grade, horrible grade on things like facilities and stuff like that. Now they love Andy Reid. 31st in the league. 31st in the league. And that also is another example of careful what you wish for with some of these college players because the reaction was the Chiefs practice in what? The Texans practice in what is that building? Iowa's got nicer facilities than that, and that's the point. If you make it a business, they start operating like a business, and your putt-putt courses and DJ booths and stuff, those all go away. Yeah, there are a lot of bubbles for practice facilities in the NFL. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, you have the star in Frisco, where the Dallas Cowboys have created this training mecca. But, but that's yeah. for more than just the Cowboys. That Jerry and Jerry's a bit unique anyway, but they, sure. they use that for more. But like the Saints have a good indoor practice facility for NFL teams. It is your generic run of the mill power five, just whatever. And it, it is completely nondescript. And probably not nearly as nice as say the Manning Center. Probably not. Yeah. I mean the the players were giving it Speaking of the Saints, like B, B plus grades for facilities and stuff like that. And the description is: I have enough space in my locker. That's why I like the locker room because my locker has enough space in it. It's Whereas a whole you've different got deal. Sleeping pods and built-in charging stations and yeah. you know retina locks on. I mean, it's, it's like how crazy can we get in terms of spending money? Yeah, I mean the, the salaries are significantly different, but the the spoiledness of the NFL players pales in comparison to the college players anymore. Yeah, no question uh, about that. Hey, if you're in the market for a new or a used vehicle, let me point you toward Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota. Really good selection on the lot. Great sales staff. Um, best financing you'll find anywhere. Not going to be pushy if you're going through the car buying experience. They're not trying to just shove you out the door and make you another, you know, tally mark on the window like you see at some dealerships. They're going to get to know you. They're going to try to understand what it is you're looking for, what your needs are, what your budget is, and then they're going to get the uh, get help you get into the vehicle that you want. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're on the Ford side of the lot or the Toyota side of the lot, you will get the same service. And then there's the service after the sale. Knowledgeable technicians with all the technology that is needed to get your vehicle in and out of the shop as quickly as possible, and uh, they'll work with you on your schedule. Plus, of course, routine maintenance. Whether you need an oil change, tires rotated, get that check engine light taken care of, whatever it is, Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota have got you covered. Stop by, see what they've got on the lot available, and uh, tell them you heard about them on Sports Talk Mississippi. It will be the best car buying experience you've ever had. BelkFord.net, OxfordToyota.com, Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota, Highway 6 West in Oxford. Ole Miss is batting with a runner on third and two down in the bottom of the fifth inning, leading 5-3 to three over Missouri State. Same Missouri State team that um, Southern Miss saw over the weekend. That's right. Played them tough, too. Yeah. It was a good series win for Southern Miss. Yeah, it really was. It really was. This is a um, this is a weekend where we will learn some things about Southern Miss and about Ole Miss. Now I don't know that that's the case for Mississippi State. Nah, Bulldogs should unless win. they lose two. Yeah, Mississippi State should win all three of its games this week against Mount St. Mary's. They should. And if you drop one, is that a baseball thing? Yes, sometimes it happens. But at some point, you got to start winning these games against teams that you're supposed to beat. Yeah. Like yesterday. Kind of stumbled out of the gate. Took a little while to get going. Ultimately poured it on against Jackson State. But in the case of Southern Miss, hosting an Indiana State team that hosted a regional in Terre Haute, Indiana last year, that... Teddy Cahill told us earlier today has only one loss this season. It was to Vanderbilt. Kind of a lopsided loss, but a loss nonetheless. That's not just a good team. That's a good program. And then with Ole Miss, you know, you don't think about the Big Ten being a power in baseball. But there are a few programs that care. And there are a few programs that have put a pretty good product on the field. Iowa is one of those. We saw Michigan play for a national championship a few years ago. We've seen Ohio State in the postseason. We've seen Nebraska in the postseason. Ole Miss hosted Illinois in a regional a few years ago. There are some teams in the Big Ten where it does matter, and they do care. And in the case of the the Iowa Hawkeyes this weekend, good starting pitching. Now, yesterday... Kendall told us that their bullpen this past weekend was rancid. Today, Teddy told us that it was just absolutely awful. So how quickly can you get those those big donkeys off the mound and try to get into that bullpen? I mean, that'll be the test, right? So uh, I had a a podcast listener get a little, not frustrated with me, but was like, why can't you just say that the team's improved? And I was like, well, I'm not saying that... They're not. I'm just not ready to talk about how they're going to go make the tournament yet after some early struggles. Their ability to chase Iowa's pitchers, though, is going to tell us something. I'm not going to talk about how they've figured it out until I see how they look this weekend. I think that's totally fair, but that'll that'll be the test, right? If they're able to 
run up pitch counts. They don't have to score a bunch of runs on a first-round pick, but can you chase them in the fifth? Can you have good at-bats also? Yeah. Like you put good swings on it. You're going to strike out. I mean, he struck out 11 last week against Auburn. Auburn's a pretty decent team. Yeah. He's going to strike guys out. He's a power arm. That's what power arms do. But can you take advantage of mistakes? Because college pitchers make mistakes. You may only get one in at bat. But if you get one in at bat, if there's a slider that hangs, you can't miss it. You can't foul it straight back. If you get a fastball out over the heart of the plate, you got to take advantage of it. Very curious to see how they look. That that this that they're at bats this weekend is going to tell us a whole heck of a lot about their prospects when conference play comes around. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap it up with you coming up next right here in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi will be live at M-Trade Park this Friday to kick off the spring seasons of baseball, fast pitch, and soccer. Nearly 150 teams will be in Oxford this weekend for U-Triple-S-A baseball. For the full schedule of tournaments this spring, visit mtradepark.com. Don't miss our crew, Sports Talk Mississippi, live from M-Trade Park in Oxford this Friday. If you're going to play, play M-Trade. Also... Still a chance for you to win. The biggest name in entertainment right now is Taylor Swift. We're giving you a chance to win tickets to see her in concert, plus money in your pocket. Margaritaville Resort and Paradise Pier Fun Park in Biloxi, along with Super Talk Mississippi, present Taylor Swift and a cash gift. You get a pair of tickets to see Taylor Swift's Eras Tour at the Superdome in New Orleans on Saturday, the 26th of October, plus $1,000. How do you win? Just enter your name and contact information at one of the registration boxes at select locations across the state of Mississippi. Go to supertalk.fm slash Taylor Swift to find the full list of locations where you can register. You know, it's crazy. That thousand bucks on top of the tickets is, uh, couldn't buy you the tickets. Uh, that is, that is true. <laughs> that is a true statement. Florida and Missouri are underway. 22 to 15, Florida leading that one with 8:51 to go in the first half. Tennessee and Auburn get started in about five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. That one tonight is in Knoxville. How about that game, Borky? 21 and six Auburn, 21 and six Tennessee. Two teams that like to get up and down the floor. That can be a lot of fun. Yeah. On ESPN two, and that will lead you in to the Ole Miss-Alabama game that's happening tonight in Oxford. Ole Miss is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. Total is 166-and-a-half. Feels a little low, doesn't it? It does. A little? 
Because Alabama can't stop anybody from scoring. Yeah, but they do, and and they do plenty of scoring on their own. And then you've got uh, South Carolina at Texas A&M. That one's at six thirty, uh, 7.30 on the SEC Network. Reed Arena and College Station, where Texas A&M is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. That one smells a little funny. Yeah? A little. Um, I just got a text from a friend, by the way, that said the Ole Miss center fielder is wearing a full face covering. Yeah. And it's 45 degrees. Cut him immediately. <laughs> I know it's tougher than that. Ago. I was like, I mean, it's not that cold. But no, I don't think Ole Miss is going to be cutting Ethan Groff. No. Any, uh, anytime soon. But yeah, he's from the neck up, he is pretty bundled. <laughs> Saw that on the videos. But in, in fairness to him, it's been like 80 degrees for four days. Once your body adjusts to that and then it gets back into the 40s, it feels like you're in the teens. That, that it is, changes quickly. That is absolutely true. Texas A&M has four home losses this year. South Carolina has six road wins. I think four of South Carolina's six SEC wins are on the road, including this past Saturday against Ole Miss. Um, what a great job he's done. Lamont Paris. Yeah, and he loses his NBA player from a year ago, who, by the way, looks like he's going to be a, a great player. Yeah, Gigi Jackson looks far better in the NFL, I'm sorry, in the NBA, than he did on a college basketball floor. Yeah. Crazy. Wasn't a great, wasn't a great teammate. Kind of selfish as a player. Works perfect in the NBA. Yeah, yeah well, you get in a locker room with a 30-year-old father of three and – they can boss you around a little bit. Yeah, make sure you uh, you are in line. He certainly was talented, though. There were a couple of um, there were a couple of uh, games last year where he went off, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I see, I see what it is that they're looking at. I see what they um, have got. So you got Ole Miss in Alabama tonight. Somebody's asking if Haydad was wearing a banana suit last night. I would love to see Brian Haydad in a banana suit. That there's your punishment. Oh, I mean, I'm already on record as but banana hammock is the way to go. Well, but for the show, I don't think that that would be. I I'd see on him. I mean, his team should win more. True. Don't want to wear a banana hammock. Win more. But Haydad in a banana suit would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, somebody said they were going to call fishy line on Ole Miss if they were a favorite. No, did not hear that. There are a lot of people, though, in gambling circles talking about that line being fishy, that it's not bigger. That it, they, they think it seems low. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was kind of my reaction earlier when we saw it and we, uh, we first talked about it this afternoon as well. All right, Hey Dad has been out today, but you do have Thunder and Lightning on the radio coming up. Rhino will guide that ship. That's coming up next after the news. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. We'll re-rack it, do it again tomorrow. We'll talk about how baseball finished up and also begin to look to the baseball weekend and have a full recap for you of Ole Miss and Alabama. For Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Good night. It's incredible! 
Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.